come on a journey with a cinephile. Wake up, sucker. We're thieves and we're bad guys. That's exactly what we are. Welcome, listeners, to episode 162 of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. As always, I'm your tour guide here of David Garrett Jr., recording out of Columbus, Ohio. And on this episode here, I know I told you that I was going to be watching The White Reindeer. I did end up watching that for my year-end winter number 15, as that is going to be the movie that I watched from 1952. Kind of worked out there being a Trek to the Twos with that one. And then I was trying to say that uh, last time on the outro that I didn't know what I was going to pair it up with. I end up going to the Gateway Film Center to see Nanny and end up thinking that there was some good stuff to talk about. So that's going to be the other featured review on here. And then I also have mini reviews of Hellbender, Orphan First Kill, and We're All Going to the World's Fair. That first and then last one for the mini reviews are ones that I've actually watched previously. So I just wanted to kind of give it a rewatch for my year-end list. And I should also alert you here is that this one's going to be a slightly shorter episode as my daughter Mackenzie actually got out of the NICU at the end of this week. So it's been an interesting weekend as we try to adjust here. If you end up hearing her on any of this recording or any of the recordings after the fact, it's just because my wife and I are trying to figure out a way to make things work and both of us get everything done that we can. So you might hear some weird grunting or cooing sounds in the background just as a heads up. Don't think there's anything else I need to get you up speed with here, so what I will say then is thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy coming on this journey with me. Journey with a Cinephile. And for my first mini-review is going to be one that is going to be quite brief, and that is Hellbender. This is from technically in 2021, but got its wide release here this year. This was written... And directed by John Adams, Zelda Adams, and Toby Posner. This stars Zelda, Toby, and Lulu Adams. And then this is a horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.8 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, A lonely teen discovers her family ties to witchcraft. So for this movie here, if you want to hear a featured review, I will direct you to episode 128. That was my Trek to the Twos number three, as I had this paired up with White Zombie. 
So this is one that I gave a rewatch just to kind of see where I fell after a second viewing. And after that first one, I had dug this movie. I'm glad that I listened to people that were recommending it. We get a story that isn't the most complex, but it's a character study that worked. The acting from Zelda Adams is good. I think she plays well off Toby Poser. The rest of the cast push Izzy as well as her mother to where she ends up. I think that the cinematography is great. The soundtrack was close there as well. They both work to set the tone of the movie and build that atmosphere that it needs. If I have any issues, there is some clunky dialogue and CGI that wasn't the greatest, but nothing to ever kind of ruin this. But my first viewing, I thought this was above average, just below being good. With this rewatch, I've bumped it up to that next level as I do think this is a good movie for sure. So my rating here for Hellbender is an 8 out of 10. You can watch this one on Shudder, and I would recommend giving it a viewing, especially for your year-end list if you haven't as of yet. And for my second mini-review is going to be Orphan First Kill. This is from here in 2022. This is directed by William Brent Bell. Along with the story being written by David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick, and Alex Mace, and it's also based upon characters created by Alex Mace. This stars Isabel Furman, Julia Stiles, and Rossif Sutherland. This is a crime drama horror mystery thriller that is from the United States and Canada, a co-production. This is currently sitting on a 5.9 on IMDb and a... 2.9 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, after orchestrating a brilliant escape from an Estonian psychiatric facility, Esther travels to America by impersonating the missing daughter of a wealthy family. So this is a movie that I was shocked to hear that they were making. When I learned that it was going to be a prequel, that made more sense, and it's been a while since I saw that original one, so that is part of it as well. Regardless, I figured I would check this out ahead of making my year-end list. So this goes in a route that I wasn't necessarily expecting, but I liked what they did with it. What I will include here is that knowing what is done, and I appreciate that. There's a commentary here that I can also enjoy that is something that is you know well documented. Since I can't delve too much into this, I will just say that money and wealth bring privilege. We see that almost at once with the character of Gunner, who is portrayed by... Matthew Finland, and I should also point out that Esther is portrayed by Furman, and then the mother in this family is Tracy Albright, portrayed by Julia Stiles, and then her husband is Alan, portrayed by Sutherland. But to get back with Gunner is that he's quite snooty. Tracy, it turns out, is not too far from him. The only one who seems down-to-earth enough is Alan, and I like that. He just misses his daughter, and I think that blinds him. So now with that set up, this is a hard movie to make, in my opinion. The original was all predicated on the reveal, and I'm guessing that most everyone coming in has seen that first one and knows the truth about Esther. This one must lean into that from the beginning as a prequel. There are stakes that can be taken away due to that. We know that she has to survive. That is part of my issue with prequels. I can appreciate that this knows that and has fun with it. There is a back and forth between Esther and Tracy as well as between the former and Gunner. I came to expect the butting of heads for the latter duo. Not all of this works, though, because some of it does go a bit cheesy at times. I wouldn't say enough to ruin it, but there are times where I did cringe. Now, what makes this work, though, I think, is that Furman embodies this character. I believe this was the first role that I saw her in. I'm glad that in the framework of this movie, it allows her to do a bit more. We see little things that are in the original, and that is fun to see the origins of not only the character, but some of her quirks. 
This is about her and it is done well there. Styles is solid enough. The issues with her character that I have come from the writing. I did like the character shift that we get with her though. It is different from the mother in the original while still being similar. Sutherland is good as the father here. I love that he's the rock and the one that so badly wants to believe that Lena is Esther. That brings me a bit of heart. I liked Hiro Kananagua as this nosy detective Donnan. Now, Finland plays his rich, arrogant older brother well. The rest of the cast also rounds us out for what was needed. So the last thing to go into would be the filmmaking. First, I want to set up that this is a fun popcorn mainstream horror movie. I think the cinematography is good. There aren't a lot in the way of effects. What is more effective, though, is the editing. Esther is a con artist, so I like that she manipulates things to where people are disarmed by her. She is a bit sloppy early into this, but we see what she becomes. Other than that, I'd say the soundtrack worked for what was needed without necessarily standing out. So in conclusion, this is a fun movie, as I've said. It isn't doing anything new, and it doesn't pack the punch the first one did. It is hard to follow that up, though. What I'll give credit here is that this is one that knows what it's doing. It isn't trying to do anything new. It just wants to develop more of the character and the backstory that we got in the original, and I can appreciate that. I think that Furman does great in being Esther. The rest of the cast is fine in support to push her to where she ends up. I think this is a well-made enough and had no issues there if you like the first one go ahead and give this one a viewing not as good but still a solid movie overall so my rating here for orphan first kill is going to be a 7 out of 10 then my last mini review for this week is going to be another shorter one as it's a rewatch of we're all going to the world's fair this is technically from 2021 but got its wide release here this year this was written and directed by jane schkanabrun this stars anna cobb theo anthony and holly ann frank this is a drama horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.3 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being. Alone in her attic bedroom, teenager Casey becomes immersed in an online role-playing horror game wherein she begins to document the changes that she may or may not be happening to her. So this is one that I originally wanted to see at Nightmares Film Festival, but I had to miss it due to my wedding and then... End up watching it when it came to the Gateway Film Center and now giving it a rewatch since I wanted to kind of short my year-end list because I know that like Duncan McLeish is high on this movie from the podcast Under the Stairs. So I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing anything. So if you want to hear a bit more, I did a mini review on episode 130, which was my top horror movie starting with the letter C as well as my bottom horror ones of that same letter. So there's a mini review over on that one. And what I will say is that this has something that I was holding against it in my head that isn't necessarily what we got, and that's not fair either. We are getting an interesting character study of Casey, who's portrayed by Cobb, as she might be troubled or she might just be going through some things. We see that she is using her videos and this game as an outlet. I would say that her performance was good. I wanted a bit more about the World's Fair, but in the end, that isn't the focal. We get a good cinematography throughout this and a solid soundtrack. I thought that this was an above average the first time. Now that I've seen it again, I've come up on my rating. I still don't love it, but it's one that I appreciate more with a second watch. Because I do really think this is delving into like mental health and isolation and you know trying to live in this world for a teen with the internet you know at your fingertips this whole time. So my rating this time around for we're all going to the World's Fair is going to be an 8 out of 10. Now what I'm going to go ahead and do is get you over the trailer of my first featured review. I miss you. Love you, mommy. Say bye-bye. Hi, mommy. 
honey. Aisha's here. Aisha. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. Okay. Here's any number you need, including her therapist. Thank you. Jobs don't fall from the sky. Just work hard to keep it. Where are you from? Stats, you've been asked. South Africa. Okay. Senegal. Oh, we got a winner. <laughs> I've seen my son in almost a year. Your son? Yes. I need to bring him here. Very soon, Lamin. Always very soon. The spirits have tried to warn you. Do not ignore the signs. You have your pain me what I am owed. You think Cash is just laying around? I am a mother too. I thought so. I miss my country. Every day. You're gonna be okay? I wish I knew what's happening to me. And for my first featured review here on this episode is going to be Nanny. This is from here in 2022. This is written and directed by Nigyatu Jusu. This stars Anna Diop, Michelle Monaghan, and Sinqua Walls, while also featuring Morgan Spector, Rose Decker, Leslie Ugams, Omildi Candy Johnson, Jalil Kamara, Princess Andanique, Mitzi Pratt, Karatu Hamilton, Anna Kiranino, Stephanie J. Park, Stefani Idoku. Eb Bassi, Alina Carson, Nate Archibald, and Michael Cumio. And if I do mispronounce any of your names, I do apologize. But this is a drama horror thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.3 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being Immigrant Nanny Aisha piecing together a new life in New York City while caring for the child of an Upper East Side family is forced to confront a concealed truth that threatens to shatter her precarious American dream. So this was a movie that I got turned on to thanks to Sundance Film Festival. I saw this was a horror film that played there and even won an award. Due to this, I put it on a list of movies to check out for the year if it got a release widely. When I saw this was playing at the Gateway Film Center, I decided to check it out when I had a little bit of time on a Saturday. So before I get into the movie itself, let me do some featured notes. I'll start with our director of Jusu. She has directed eight things. This was the first that I had seen. She has three in genre. The first was a short called Suicide by Sunlight. This was her first feature in genre. Now she does have an untitled project upcoming as well. Now as a writer, she has six. They are the same three in genre and I've only seen this one. Then moving over to our actors, I'll start with Diop. She has been in five works. I've seen two, three are in horror. Her first was Us, and then her other feature is this. Now, I've seen both of these so far, but she was also in a short called Posies. Then Monaghan is an actress I'm a fan of. She's been in 45 movies. I've seen 13 of the 45. I've seen her in things like Source Code, The Born Supremacy, Kiss Kiss, Bang Bang, and Gone Baby Gone. 
Now, in horror, she has four, and I've seen two. Her first was Constantine before being in the Craft Legacy. Then she was in this, and she also has the blood that is slated for a 2022 release. Then lastly will be Walls. He has 12 works that he's been in. I've seen two. Three are in horror. I've seen Shark Knight 3D and now this. He's also in something called The Blackening that is slated for release this year as well. Just has not been as far as I know. So now to kind of develop a bit more of our synopsis here is our main character is Aisha, portrayed by Diop. Through conversations over FaceTime on her phone, she had to leave her son with a family member back in Senegal. I believe it is Marieto, who is portrayed by Candide Johnson, and then her son is Lamine, portrayed by Kamara. Aisha is living with her aunt, who is helping her to get on her feet in America and to save money. Now, at the beginning of this movie, she is going to a job interview as a nanny. Entering the building, she meets a security guard at the front desk, who is Malik, portrayed by Walls. He's interested in her, and she puts that down gently. The mother who is interviewing her for the job is Amy, portrayed by Monaghan. Aisha would be watching Rose, who's portrayed by Decker, who is Amy's daughter. Amy is working in the corporate world and is the main source of income for this family. Now, her husband seems to be like a journalist or a photographer who is sent around the world. His name is Adam, and he's portrayed by Spectre, and in the beginning is away. Things are difficult for Amy, and she's doing the best that she can. Aisha and Rose get along well, though. Things seem to be, you know, moving along in a positive way, except things get weird. Aisha has what appear to be vivid dreams about water. It becomes more difficult to talk to her son or even to get a hold of her family member. Now, Amy and Adam are having marital problems, but they aren't acknowledging it. Aisha is working over her hours, which is making it difficult to get in touch with her son, and she's not being paid for it. Amy is neglecting and managing these finances. This is just the beginning, though. There could be a supernatural entity coming after Aisha, and Rose seems to notice it as well. So that's where I'm going to leave my recap and fleshing out the synopsis and introducing the characters a bit more. Where I want to start is, having now watched this, I can see why this played at Sundance. There is a story that we're getting on the surface, and then there's more going on underneath. It has implied as well as explicit ideas that it explores, and that is something I can appreciate. Where I want to start would be with our lead, Aisha. She came over from Africa and is trying to make enough money to bring her son as well. What I like is that the more we learn about her, the more human she is. Over in Senegal, she was a teacher. She had an affair with a married man who didn't want her to have the child. She's a strong, independent woman, though. This gets interesting when she interacts with Amy. The latter doesn't see her as an equal. I like the backstory to Aisha as things get revealed slowly. The movie is playing on biases. Amy works in the corporate world where Aisha is working as her nanny. There is more to Aisha, though. Amy's life is spiraling despite the facade she is portraying. I like the dichotomy here of being a worker and neglect of Rose. Now, another idea that I want to shift over to would be capitalism. Amy, as I've laid out, represents the corporate world. It is interesting that she is not paying Aisha for all the hours that she works. We learn through dialogue that Amy and Adam have overextended themselves to show their status and privilege. This is creating problems for Aisha, who needs the money to bring her son to America. I like that we see both sides of the problems, despite the status that they portray. Now, going along with that, I've already presented that there are multiple people that tell Aisha that she cannot work all day every day. She needs to take care of herself. Aisha opens to Malik, and I think the nightmares as well as visions she has are guilt. She is working toward a purpose, but losing sight of her own needs. Aisha is hard on herself. She shouldn't feel guilty, though. She is just doing what she can. On the other side, Amy works hard and does what she can to fit in. 
Adam, on the other hand, seems to be having affairs. He also refuses responsibilities. This is a powerful message for sure. So the last thing I want to go into for the story is the supernatural aspects. This introduces lore from West Africa. There is a myth about mermaids, and this incorporates into the nightmares Aisha has. The movie also pulls in a children's story about a spider. Adam gets the book on the trip for Rose that kind of gives this, and then we see it kind of play out. Now Aisha reads it to her. We see aspects of both stories and the lore play out. The question is if they're real or not. Aisha blacks out when they happen. She also is stressed. That with her not being you know taking care of herself could make her have a breakdown i like that this is left up to us i don't think everything we see is real or even everything that aisha is seeing is real rose makes comments though as i think that there is something supernatural still happening here i think this should be enough for the story so i wanted to go into would be the acting our star here is diop and i think she does a good job in her portrayal I love the different layers that she brings to the role. There are waves of things that she goes through which makes her feel real. As her main adversary, I think Monahan is good as well. They are mirrors of each other. One seems to have the perfect life but is struggling. The other one on the outside doesn't and yet better equipped at the things that she does. I like this type of look at both sides of the coin here. Walls is solid as this truly good guy where Spectre seems good but has flaws. I like Decker as a little girl. The rest of the cast decided to round this out for what was needed and pushes our leads to where they end up. So the last thing I want to go into would be the filmmaking. The first thing I would say is that this is well made. Cinematography looks great. We get good looking shots. And then to go along with that, they do some interesting things with lighting at times. There were effects here that I could tell there was some CGI, but that looked good. They also use soft focus when Aisha thinks that she sees something, but might not actually be real. That is good to make us as a viewer question along with her. Other than that, I thought the soundtrack and design of the movie worked for what was needed. I do have a negative though. This movie is a slow burn and I felt the runtime. I understand what they're doing and I think it's effective at times. My issue though is that I felt like there was some wasted time that we could have, you know, tightened this up to trim and make everything just run a bit smoother. That doesn't ruin it, but I lost interest until the reveal and that was heartbreaking and made me tear up. I'm not going to lie there. I will give credit for that as well. In conclusion, this is a good movie. I wasn't the biggest fan upon leaving the cinema, but now that I've sat with it and I can see what they're doing, I think that this explores interesting ideas. The acting is good, which creates strong characters. Special credit to Diop and Monaghan. The rest pushed them to where they need to end up. I think this is a well-made movie. There is some beautiful cinematography and the effects are solid and the soundtrack work. My biggest issue is that the pacing is a bit off and just runs a bit too long. Other than that, I thought that I would say a good movie here. I would recommend giving this to a viewing for horror and non-horror fans alike. I'm also not going to do a spoiler section just as a heads up here. So my rating for Nanny is going to be an 8 out of 10. Since I'm not going to spoil anything, what I'll go ahead and do is get you over to the trailer of my second featured review. Niilo lähti ajamaan takaa valkoista villipeuraa. Toisimme hänet pahasta turusta. 
tällaisessa kunnossa. Voi olla mitään muuta, että talkoinen voi olla On sitä tekevästä taikauskoa. Hän peuraa sillä tavalla kuin miestä And for my second featured review is going to be the White Reindeer. This goes by the original title of Valconian Pira. This is from 1952. This was directed by Eric Blumberg, who also co-wrote this with Mirjami Kasomanen, who also starred in this along with Calvero Nizelin, Aki Lindman. Now this also features Yonin Tapola, Arvano Lihishma, Mati Hapamaki, Tevin Harla, Petnan Arjala, Edvin Kanjani, Kaolo Larkanen, Haimo Lapiso, Asmo Asvin, Tamano Rova, Jaro Sakinen, Alu Silvonen, Elijah Stanen, Arnie Tarkas and Inky Tarkas. Now, if I mispronounce any of those names, I do apologize. I have no idea how to pronounce these names. But this is a drama fantasy horror film that is from Finland, and that's why I don't know how to pronounce the names. This is sitting on a 7.0 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, a newlywed woman goes to the local shaman to get help for her love life, but instead gets turned into a white reindeer vampire. So it's a movie that I heard about through podcasts originally. The idea sounded interesting, so it went on a list of movies to check out. Now, for December here on the podcast, I like to do winter-based horror movies. And so this one also doubled as a Truck of the Twos, being from 1952. So that also helped me to give this one a go. So before I get into the movie itself, let me do some featured notes on some of the key people. And I'll start with our director of Blomberg, who helmed six movies. This is the only one in horror that I've seen. Now, as a writer, he has four. Again, the only one in horror and that I have seen. Now, the other writer is Kausmanen. Now, she wrote four movies, and it looks like she worked with Blomberg aside from this, and this is the only one that I've seen and in genre. She also stars in this, and she was in 21 works overall, much like with writing. This is the only one in horror that I've seen. Her co-star of Naisali was in seven, only one in horror that I've seen. And then lastly would be Lindemann. He has 63 movies. Three are in genre. This was the first. He was also in The Moon God from 1988, which is a 36-year gap between horror movies. And then he was also in The Book of Fate from 2003, which is another 25 years. So I've not seen either of those ones. And actually, I realize I did some bad math. That's 15 years. But this wouldn't be the only one that I have seen as well. So to get into this movie here, we start off with hearing a song while seeing a barren, snowy landscape. The song is telling the story that we're about to see. Part of it is that I wanted to point out is that it says that a girl was born a witch. We then see a woman traversing the land. Her name is Pirita, portrayed by Kasumanen. 
It then shifts over to a community of people. There looks to be a race where reindeer are pulling people in little sleds. We see that she is vibing one of the men of Aslak, portrayed by Naisla. Now, the two are soon married. Things don't go as planned, though. Aslak is a reindeer herder, and he's gone for long stretches. She is lonely. She decides that she wants to seek the aid of a shaman. He goes by Tasilaku Nila, portrayed by Li Shama. Something goes awry during their meeting, and in the end, he tells her to seek out the stone god and pray to him for help. She does, but it doesn't give her the results that she wants. It makes her irresistible to men, so she does get that part. It also makes her into a shapeshifter. She then takes on the form of a white reindeer. She also has to feed on men who come after her, and I guess she feeds in their blood. There are mysterious deaths that put the community in fear. The men know that the victims are going after this rare white reindeer, and that is cursed. They also believe that a witch is behind it. To save their people, they decide it needs to be killed. They don't necessarily know that it is one of their community. Now, that's why I'm going to leave my recap, as this doesn't have the deepest story. It is interesting that I saw this played at Cannes Film Festival during its release. It also won Best Fairy Tale Feature as well, which does make a whole lot of sense. The song in the beginning sets that tone, and with how things play out, this is a cautionary tale that is, you know, trying to relay some important information. Should also point out this is the first film from Finland to compete in the prestigious film festival as well. I think that this has an interesting thing that I want to delve into first, and where I'm going to start then would be that we see this couple meet and they fall in love. They get married and things should be perfect from there. Aslak is gone for long stretches though. There were scenes that I saw that I thought was actually Pirita cheating on him. Looking at a recap of the movie, I think that this scene is actually showing her mother of Marita. They're played by the same person, and it makes me wonder the purpose of that scene now. Regardless, I like this idea of being thankful for what you have and not meddling. By her doing so, it makes things much worse for her. Now, going along with this, I want to go over to the fairy tale aspects. This is supernatural, of course. Pirita goes to see the shaman. He knows that something is different with her. I thought that this was a good scene. It is interesting as well as that this stone god gives her the power that she wants. It comes at a price that she now has to live off the blood of the men that come after her. It also forces her to change into a white reindeer. What is interesting is that I've never seen a were-reindeer film before this, so that was different. This is similar to vampire lore, and in that, it's that she loves it at first. That goes away, though, as I thought that adds layers as she has feared being killed. There's also a bit of Jekyll and Hyde that she can no longer control the change either. So I'm going to go then would be the acting. I thought that Kasomanin was good as our lead. First, I think she's attractive. I think that is needed for this role. What I like is that she seems like a good person until she's tainted by this curse. That is where I think the best part of the performance comes out. She is embracing the evil until it becomes too much. That worked for me. I then say that Naisla is solid as her husband. I liked Lehishima as the shaman. The rest of the cast were onto the south for what was needed, as they mostly really just need to be these people in this like small village. And the last thing I want to go over to would be the filmmaking. I love the cinematography here. The landscape feels cold and barren. You can see that life here is hard. The shots look good. They don't do anything that is too different, but I think that they capture good things. There aren't a lot in the way of effects, but it doesn't need them. Everything they do here is in camera. Other than that, I'd say the soundtrack worked for what was needed. Something creepy that is done here is the design. 
Hearing Perita's laughter when it's disembodied is great. I was a fan there. And that almost kind of leans more into like the witch-like aspects. I did want to say that this is a slow burn. I think that part of that is the time that it was made. I did find this to be eerie and effective. So I did find a little bit more trivia that I was going to share here as well. And this is the only finished film to win a Golden Globe. At some point of production, Ani Tarkas was set to direct and Blumberg was going to be the cinematographer. But for some reason, he took over directorial responsibilities. The IMDb page did not explain why. So in conclusion, this is an interesting movie. I knew a bit coming in, but I wasn't disappointed. This has a fairy tale feel that I enjoyed. There is a bit of cautionary tale as well that I'm a fan of. I thought the acting was good. This looks great. And they do things that for the atmosphere with the sound design to help. I could have done with a bit more, but this is still early into cinema. I can see how this was influenced that came after this for sure. I think this is worth a viewing if you are into foreign cinema and want to see a bit more of the history kind of there, especially being a foreign film as well. So my rating here for The White Reindeer is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. Not going to do a spoiler section, so let me get you over to one last break before I close out the show. I would like to welcome you back and then just to close everything out here, if you'd like to send me an email with any sort of feedback or anything that you'd like to have right on the show, you can send me that email at journeywithacinephile at gmail.com. If there's anything that you send me you don't want right on the show, just let me know in that email. If you'd like to read any of the reviews from anything on this episode or any of the past episodes, that's horrorreview.webnode.com. If you like to become friends with me on Facebook, I'm David Mishkin Garrett Jr., on Twitter, I'm Buckeye from Mish. Letterboxd, I'm David OSU. And over there, I'll be posting all of the reviews of anything that I'm watching that is horror or non horror alike. If you'd like to follow my Instagram page, that's David OSU87. If you'd like to follow the Journey with a Cinephile Instagram, that's Journey with a Cinephile, all one word. What I will be posting over there is on both of them the movie posters of anything that I am reviewing. And if you follow my personal one, every now and then you might see some personal pictures if I ever post any because I tend to forget while I'm out and about. And just to make it easier on you, I'll have all of those links in the show notes. And then the last thing I'd ask you to do is that whatever podcatching device you're listening to me on, if you could go ahead and hit subscribe so you never miss a new episode, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you're able to rate and review just so I can figure out what I'm doing that you like and what I'm doing that you don't like, as well as to get out to more listeners out there as well. And then for my next episode is going to be another of my year-end winter type stuff as I'm going to have actually watched them already this weekend is the older movie is going to be The Abominable Snowman. This is one that I actually picked up last year, but it didn't get to me in time to watch. So I just decided to go ahead and check out this movie. It features my boy Peter Cushing in it. And then I'm also going to pair that up with a new uh, killer Santa Claus type movie of I believe it's Christmas Bloody Christmas is the title of that one. I'll also get in some more mini-reviews, especially watching 2022 releases to make sure I can round out my year-end list as that is rapidly approaching here by the end of the month. Don't think there's anything else I need to get you up to speed with here on this episode before I close everything out. So what I will say then in closing is that whatever you do today, I hope you're safe and doing and have a great time out there. Thank you so much for listening. This is your tour guide of David Garrett Jr. and I am signing off. It had been a wonderful evening. And what I needed now to give it the perfect ending.